What can positive psychology tell us about religion? Find out on this week's episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science. And it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I am your host, J.R. Houston. Grateful that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you have tuned in. Thank you for doing so. We're also thankful for those of you who wake up bright and early on Sunday mornings to listen to Live Happy Radio. It is available in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex at 8 a.m. on 98.7 K-Love. That is Central Time. Now, if you live anywhere else in the world, just figure out when 8 a.m. Central Time on Sunday morning is. Get up at that appropriate time and then tune into Radio.com. And you can hear it. It is a full hour that features happy facts. We've also got in-depth reporting on positive psychology events and newsmakers. We have also got interviews with those who are doing the research to make you more happy. So please check it out again. It is on 98.7 K-Love in Dallas-Fort Worth. And it is on Radio.com Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock Central Time. So now that we are done promoting that, we have got a fun conversation for you this week, and it has to do with religion. We're bringing in Paula Phelps, our science editor, again, as she talks with Patty Van Kaplan, who's the director of the Interdisciplinary Behavioral Research Center at Duke University. She studies the effective and motivational determinants and consequences of religious and spiritual beliefs and practices. Well, Patty, I'm really glad to have you here today. I was able to take in your presentation at IPA, and so I know that you're doing a lot of fascinating research about religion and how it affects our well-being. I wonder if you could tell our listeners what made you interested in traveling down that path. Yeah, so when I started my studies in psychology very quickly, I was kind of fascinated by this social phenomenon, which is religion, and how much it has affected and shaped our culture and the way we live today and then also how much it is important for so many people across the world and the fact that they you know kind of use their religion um, as a source of well-being and meaning in life and that it also shapes um, the way they behave in society and the way they think about different social issues and so forth. So it's kind of a, you know, fascination for religion that led me to kind of use the methods and theories in psychology to better understand why people turn to religion and how it changes and affects their behaviors. We do know from research that they're saying that religion and spirituality do provide a source of happiness, but do we know why? Yeah, we can prove the outcome, but why is that? Yeah, well, it is, I mean, just just to put it out there, the relationship between identifying or practicing a religion and well-being is pretty small, but it seems that it's consistent, at least in countries such as the U.S. or like many uh, European countries. 
And obviously many people have wondered how a set of beliefs and practices could impact something as important as well-being. Um, there are like multiple answers for that. One is obviously that, for example, going to church on a regular basis and participating in a group that shares similar values as yourself is a source of social support. So the social support you derive from your religion and your faith is one way through which religion provides well-being. It also provides meaning and sense of control and certainty uh, about the world, and that is also an important factor in determining how much you're satisfied with your life and you feel that you know you're a happy person. There is also, you know, for example, religion has a lot of prescription of healthy habits. Um, mm -hmm. For example, like lifestyle habits such as not drinking too much, which is also a predictor of health. So there are certain lifestyles that religion promotes that seem to also predict not only mental health, but physical health as well. So kind of all in all, there are like these social and cognitive and also emotional resources that religion seems to bring in an organized way that help people derive greater well-being and, and happiness. That's so interesting. And I'm curious if when you're doing your research, do you differentiate between spirituality and organized religion or is that together? Well, a lot of the research shows that if you identify as a spiritual person or religious person, there's like similar uh, relationship with well-being and, and happiness. The difference might be in the mechanism, because as you point out, spirituality's beliefs and practices are not really defined by an institution. So there is less guidelines into how uh, you define your own spirituality or the way, the type of practices you do. So I think when we study mechanisms, we, we look at it a little bit differently. But in my own research, I was, for example, interested in the experience of positive emotions might explain why both religion and spirituality are related to well-being. And so in one study, we had 500 churchgoers tell us more about the, their experience at church and report how much they felt connected to others, how much, you know, going to church brings them a sense of meaning and understanding of the world, and then how much they felt positive emotions such as awe or gratitude. And then they also reported on their well-being. And what we found is that the more positive emotions, and especially these, you know, emotions such as awe or love or gratitude, the more they felt those emotions at church, the higher well-being they reported. And, and this mechanism, positive emotion, was you know, even stronger than how closely connected they felt to other people at church. So that's oh, kind of like, you know, one way we looked at it within religion, but we, we conducted like a similar research among people interested in meditation and people who tend to score higher on spirituality. And for them, we again measured their positive emotions, but kind of general in day-to-day -day life, how frequently they experienced positive emotion. And we found that the more spiritual they were, the higher, you know, the more frequent positive emotions they were feeling on the day-to-day -day basis and the higher well-being they reported. So basically they're kind of taking different vehicles, but they're reaching the same destination. Yes, exactly. Terrific. Well, you know, I know that, that you've looked at why people seek out 
religion and spiritual experiences. And, you know, some of us are raised in a religious environment, but outside of that, what generally prompts people to, to pursue religion or to pursue a more spiritual life? Like you said, the main predictor is in which religion you were raised. So kind of your education is a very important predictor. But I think another interesting question is what are the kind of experiences or emotions or even biological variables that can promote spirituality or religiosity that make them more salient and, and central to people's lives. Because as people go through life, you know, there are moments during which their religion or spirituality becomes more salient, you know, to put it simply. The fact that religion and spirituality serve psychological functions, you know, the fact that they bring meaning, support, control, um, etc., that has deeply influenced the way that researchers have answered the question of the motivational forces behind religiosity. So there is quite a bit of research that shows that, for example, being lonely or feeling like you're, you're lacking a secure source of attachment, those are circumstances under which people can turn to their religion as a way to cope and to find that source of support and also, you know, deep relationship with God, which can be seen as an attachment figure. Other circumstances can be whenever people feel that there are threats to their meaning system or when they have threats to their own life. For example, hurricanes are <laughs> present like a good example of that. Like when people feel, feel threatened in their own security, is this life making sense? Those are moments when not everybody, but many people will turn to their faith to cope with that. Let me ask you, because we do see that the old, um, you know, there's no atheist in a foxhole kind of mentality. But we do see that, you know, people turn to religion or to, to spirituality when they're having trials. But then when things get good, uh, they tend to abandon that. Um, so have you found ways or looked at ways how people can maintain that kind of uh, commitment when yeah. things are good. Yeah. So, yes. Um, what is interesting is that it is true that difficult events promote religion, but what we find is that when things are going very well, that also promotes religious beliefs. So it's kind of when you're in that neutral, you know, when things are not terribly bad, but not terribly good, that maybe people kind of turn away from religion. But what we found is that when people are experiencing very positive and meaningful or uplifting, you know, moments, those are the type of experiences that also promote spirituality and religious beliefs. And why is that? Because I understand the times are tough and, okay, I need some extra help here, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I get that. And why is it, though, in wonderful times that people turn to religion and spirituality? I think it is important to see that we could be motivated by two very different things in life in general. And one is kind of just striving to make up deficiencies or striving to overcome problems. And that's what a lot of psychology has been focused on. But then we can also strive to grow, to self-actualize, to become a better version of ourselves the way, however, we want to define that. And I think positive psychology actually has shed a lot of light on that other type of motivation. It's not because religion provides a benefit 
that the only reason you will pursue religion is to get that benefit because you're missing it. You know, you're lacking it in your life. Right. You can also pursue things because it's going to make you better or because that's the way you see, you know, you envision a more fulfilling life. So I think in those positive and uplifting moments, what happens is that some people start seeing the, the bigger picture, kind of like this Broaden and Bill theory of, of Barb Fredrickson. Like when you feel good, you literally see the bigger picture. You start connecting the dots in your life. You become more creative. And I do think that there is something similar happening for, for spirituality and religion where people start thinking, oh, like life might be broader. There might be something more to this life. And for some people that translates into, oh, there's got to be a higher power or something above us all. So I think that that's kind of what is happening when, when we talk about these positive, uplifting experiences promoting spirituality. You bring up a great point because you're talking about Barbara Fredrickson's theory, and you, you and I have talked about how the practices of positive psychology are also at play in religion, things like the gratitude, meditation, and how do you see people now being able to integrate religion and positive psychology? Because, you know, we're taking science and we're taking religion, which haven't always gone hand in hand, but now we see people really, uh, those two paths are, are merging. Um, can you kind of talk about that and how we can more easily implement those two? Well, I think th the interesting part is that, um, you know, by, by studying religion or spirituality and their related practices, we kind of shed light on, you know, the important mechanisms or like the, the ingredients that make, you know, some people live a happier life. And we can kind of use that knowledge for people who are not even religious, who may want to search for these, you know, active ingredients in their own lives and, and in more secular ways. So I think that, yes, science and religion come together, um, but it doesn't mean that you got to be religious to be happy. That's definitely not the point, but it seems that religion provides an organized way and an easy way um, for people to get these, you know, good ingredients, to have like a regular practice of gratitude, to have a regular practice of, of prayer and meditation. Um, and, and, you know, the, I think the study of religion kind of shed light on that, but it's also possible to study these exact behaviors outside of religion and in more secular ways. Yeah, because for people who don't identify as religious, they might overlook this entirely and think it's not applicable to them, but but yeah. according to you, it, it is very applicable and reachable to them. Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, in, in my research, bottom line, it shows that it is important to feel connected to other people, who, however, you know, you're, you're getting that. And it is also important to feel these what we call these self-transcendent emotions, so emotions such as awe or admiration or gratitude. And very often people, you know, relate these emotions with spirituality. They say, oh, these are religious emotions, but that's, that's not true. These are secular emotions that anybody can feel. It just so happens that religious people tend to feel them at a higher frequency and have maybe more opportunities to feel them because they go, for example, in a beautiful church or so forth. But it doesn't mean that, you know, non-religious people can't get that and that they shouldn't try to get it. And positive psychology, I think, as a movement is kind of like 
taking all of these, you know, good lessons from, you know, other disciplines and, and kind of provide a way to get these good practices and for anybody to use. Yeah, because it does seem that the boundaries get really blurred when, you know, especially when you're talking about, say, gratitude and meditation, mindfulness, things like that. The boundaries between spirituality and psychology really do start to disappear. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Um, and yet, you know, that that's still an open question whether uh, if you're practicing these in a religious context or infusing it with, you know, beliefs in the greater purpose in life or greater meaning to life, um, whether these practices are imbued with, you know, additional power, I don't know. That is an open question that, you know, I haven't answered yet in my in my research, but I think would be fascinating. Can you kind of take away just one good practice and, and just do that on your own? Will that be as effective as if it was still connected to kind of the system of faith where it's coming from? It's For me, it's still a little bit unclear. Well, what's wonderful is there's so much available for you to research <laughs> because yeah. it's it's an area that that really hasn't been you know widely tread up until now. So I think that's really interesting. I know that we have a lot of great insight from you in our current issue of Live Happy, but you also have an exciting project coming up. Before you go, can you tell us a little about this new research project that you're doing about the mind-body connection? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of my research so far has been like super involved in the belief, belief in a higher meaning in life or higher power, God, and then somewhat in the practices such as prayer, meditation, going to church. But recently I've started wondering how important is it to consider this mind-body connection and the fact that religion and spirituality aren't just about believing in things. They're also about kind of embodying these values and these attitudes. So in, in the research project, what we're interested in is how much the body not only expresses the way we feel, think about when we feel sad, you know, our body is going to slump or it's going to kind of contract and go down. So the body definitely expresses how we feel, but in turn, there is kind of a feedback um, and that the body also influences the way we feel. So if we purposefully put ourselves in a particular position, that may also influence our emotions and attitudes and thoughts. So we're kind of using this general idea that in psychology we call embodiment, and that's this reciprocal influence between the body and emotions, thoughts, and so forth. And we will study that in the context of religion because, you know, it is kind of fascinating to think that across all religions, when you think about prayer, meditation, or worship practices, there's only a limited number of postures that people spontaneously adopt. It would be kind of weird to think that everybody would do a headstand while praying, you know, and right. what, you know, why is that? Why is, there seems to be like a natural a relationship between certain postures and certain attitudes, you know, kneeling and humility and respect. Is, is that the case? That's going to be one of our questions. Is it the case that some posture naturally, naturally fit with certain attitudes? And then a second question we would like to ask is, if we change people's posture, will that change their emotions and thoughts? 
if we ask someone to pray while kneeling versus to pray while standing and raising the hands, well, they have different types of prayer while they do so. So we're going to you know, study that for in, the, in the next three years um, to try to better understand how this mind-body connection works within religion and especially worship you know, practices kind of shed light on this new behavior. And I think it, it may also be one avenue through which religion and spirituality can affect well-being. You know, if we find that this posture increases positive emotions or resilience, well, the, and that religious people tend to adopt this posture almost on a weekly basis, well, that's a powerful mechanism as well that we've completely ignored so far. That's interesting. I think a lot of people will be uh, interested to see how that research comes out. I so appreciate you taking time with us. I know you're busy, uh, but you've done some fascinating research in this area, so I'm really glad that you were able to uh, check in with us and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, and I'm always happy to share, you know, this research with the broader audience. I think it's a good opportunity for everybody to know more about it, so thank you. And if you'd like to learn more about Patty, you can, of course, always go to livehappynow.com. We're wrapping things up here on this edition of the Live Happy Now podcast, but if there's something that you wanted to say about this podcast, positively or negatively, hopefully positively, you can do so by reaching out to us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at livehappy.com. For all of us at the Live Happy Now podcast, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, and thank you for helping us to live happy.